So love, we've, we're in this discussion of love and talking about what it means to, to love others and learn to love others. Um, so a few things going on in, in, on my, in, in my head this week, um, and I promise I'm not going to chase too many rabbits today uh, if I can clear my head of them. But um, I've just been reminded through some of the news stories of our week of how easy it is to set people aside and consider them less than because of maybe a difference of opinion, uh, gender differences, and it is, it, it is a sad commentary on the church when we can't see value in all people because everyone was created by God. You guys are really quiet right now. That's, that's a, you can say amen out loud like if, if you feel like that's, that's true. I mean, um, I, I've, just, I've read some stories this week that are just, um, they break my heart. When, when someone says that the church or someone that I respected um, set me aside or abused me in some way that that I'd put this, this trust in this, this group, this community of people, and then silenced or, or whatever. And um, uh, it, it's why the conversation of love is so very important to the church. It's, it's why what we're talking about is, is just essential. If, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to learn to love, Right? We've got to learn to be people marked by radical, compassionate love for all people, regardless of their response to that love. You know, you know what I mean? Um, so our identity, and, and I'm, we're just going to keep talking about this because it's important to be reminded of our identity. I tell, you know, we tell our kids when they, when they leave in the evening to go out with friends, remember who you are, right? You, you know, you represent this family when you're out and... Um, Remember who we are. We are a community. We're a community of many different people, different ideas, different, different histories and traditions, and, and all of us uh, from all these different places. We're, we're, follow, we're, we're, we're following Jesus. Like he is marking the way, and we're trying to the best of our ability. We don't get it perfectly. Uh, we're trying to follow Jesus and learn in the process. We're, we're trying to learn how to love others with no strings attached, just to be people marked by radical, radical love. Um, I read this this week uh, from a guy named Mark Scandaret. He said, um, we, don't, we don't enter the kingdom of God merely by thinking about it or listening to others talk about it, right? We, we don't enter into God's kingdom. We don't enter into the ways of Jesus just by thinking or, or watching or listening to other people, but rather... Um, we, we have to experiment together with how to apply the teachings of Jesus to the details of our everyday lives. Does that make sense? So it's interesting, our, our education, um, we often sit in a classroom and we, we gain a lot of information. If we never turn that information into application, we really haven't entered into what it is that we study, correct? Does, it, does that make sense? Like if we, if we never learn how to use that, in, in, the, in the course of our lives or our work or families, then we're not really learning the material. 
we, we're just regurgitating stuff. And, and I'm like, I'm one who from time to time has just learned and, and then regurgitated and I haven't put it into practice. Anybody with me? Like, and, and it's, we have got to experiment with the ways of Jesus together in a safe community. And so that's, that's the, the idea, the concept behind this, this month of love. Uh, in Hebrews, uh, the author said, let us think of ways to motivate one another uh, to acts of love and good works. So that's, that's what this is all about. You got, you, you, got, you got one of these when you walked in. These are ideas, experiments, uh, opportunities to jump in and do some good and, and to love other people. Um, last week, if you were here last week, you got a free T-shirt to motivate you to acts of love and good service. And some of you are like, really? A t-shirt to motivate? We were hoping that it, you, you felt motivated by that. And, and if you weren't here last week, we've got plenty of t-shirts for you out in the lobby. So stop by and grab one and wear the t-shirt and, and love other people. Um, that's, that's, what this, that's what this is all about. Just a reminder, uh, when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment of all? Like if we miss everything else. You know that when you were in high school and you were like, is that going to be on the test? It's like, Jesus, what's going to be on the test? Like what's the, what's the most important thing? Do I need to remember this? And this is what Jesus said. The most important commandment is to love God with everything you are and right next to it, alongside of it, connected to it. You cannot separate the, truth, the two is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. Love God and love others. It's the baseline for everything. If we're not doing this, we're not entering into the kingdom of God. If, if we're not learning how to love both God and other people, tied together, connected, can't separate the two, then, then we're not entering into the kingdom. And he says this, everything else hinges on these things. Everything else is based on these two things. Now, um, there was, there was a, a telling of this story in one of the Gospels, Luke. So there's four different tellings of the stories of Jesus. If you're new to the Bible, uh, it, the New Testament is kind of the right side of the Bible. And uh, the first four books of that, or chapters you might call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the tellings of Jesus. They're the stories of Jesus. And a lot of times you'll find the same stories told from different perspectives in those different um, those books. And, and Luke tells a version of this story where this, it's a conversation with Jesus. Like, so uh, what's the most important law? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? So he asks the guy the question, like, how do you read it? And so the guy answers with, well, you love God and you love others. And Jesus says, yes, you got it. Do this and you'll live. And you know what the guy asks? The same question we would ask. Well, who's my neighbor? Because I don't want to love too many people here. <laughs> like, I need to know, like, who... Who, who's my neighbor and who's not my neighbor? I need a line and very clear divisions on who to love and, and who not to love. And so Jesus, in his brilliant way, begins to tell a story. It's like there was this man, and he was, he was up in Jerusalem. And, and if you've ever been to, to the Holy Lands, Jerusalem is, is like you, it's almost like Flagstaff. You kind of ascend up to Jerusalem. It's, it's at a higher elevation than, than what's around it. And so you come up to Jerusalem, and and so to come out of Jerusalem and go to Jericho or really any other city, you're, you're dropping elevation. In fact, Jericho, which is mentioned in the story, is below sea level. So if you think there's like a five to 6,000 foot drop between Jerusalem and Jericho. Um, and so he says there was, there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Now, I want you to imagine, if you can, have you ever driven from Phoenix up to Flagstaff or from Flagstaff down to Phoenix on I-17 when there's a lot of traffic and it feels dangerous? Have you ever, have, has it ever felt dangerous to you? Now, imagine a dirt road and imagine no road, just a path. Imagine the places where others could hide and camp out, people with bad intentions. I mean, you, there would be all kinds of places on the I-17, right? And so this is what happened in the ancient world. When you traveled from, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, there were all kinds of bandits kind of hanging out, just waiting around um, for somebody. Who is the fool who will travel by themselves? You know, who will be caught all alone because that's the person I'm going to take down? So there were bandits, and it was, it was a common story. So this story that Jesus tells is a common thing that happened in their day. So they would have immediately been like, yeah, I get that. So a man was traveling down. He was Jewish, which is important. That means we love this guy. He was Jewish. He's traveling down. He's attacked by bandits. He's stripped and left for dead. Well, this is an interesting story. Where's Jesus going to go with this? So first, uh, a priest comes by. It just so happens that a pastor was walking by um, on, this, on this road, and, and he notices the man lying there. He sees, sees the man. And Jesus says, and he passed by on the other side of the road. Nothing to do with this. Now, in our minds, we, we kind of give the priest a, a hard time, don't we? Like, yeah, leave it to pastors. I'm sure he's got a sermon in his head. He just wants to get up there and talk and talk and talk, and he's not going to do anything. Not that you all would think that, but back in the ancient world, maybe they thought that. And here's the deal with, with, with the priest. He knew that there were laws concerning blood and death. And if he touches this man, if he does anything with this man, it causes him to be unclean and he can no longer go to the temple and do his duty. So what's interesting here is the man is actually following the law, the law that's found in the Bible. Like the priest is doing what he's supposed to be doing. So he passes, and then a Levite, which is like a temple assistant, um, let's call him the worship leader. Let's give Joe a bad time too. So <laughs> the temple assistant kind of walks by and, and sees the man, but he like goes over a little bit closer and looks. He's like, ah, eh, he's probably going to die, and then just <laughs> passes on. So again, we give him a hard time, but he has some rules to follow as well. We all have to follow rules. Any rule followers in the room? Yes, my people. I am a rule follower. Like, give me the rules and I'm going to follow them. Um, so he passes by. And then Jesus, like, turns the tables on them. Because the, the hearers, the, the listeners of this story would be like, well, yeah, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing here. And I, w I was asking you, who's my neighbor? And you're giving us this weird story about a guy who's traveling or whatever. And then Jesus says, then a despised Samaritan, a heretic, someone who doesn't even believe like you believe. When he saw the man, he felt compassion. And he went over to him and, and he took his, his oil and his wine and he cleaned off and bandaged his wounds. 
just hoping that he would be able to make him. And he picked him up and he put him on his own donkey and finished the journey. And he took him to an inn. And he, he went to the innkeeper and he said, I'm going to pay for his room and I'm going to put him here. And, and if, if, if there's anything that's needed, I want you to cover it. And I will come back and pay the bill for whatever's needed here. Now, the Jewish audience here would have been like set aside. Wait a minute, a Samaritan? And then Jesus asks the question, the penetrating question, who was a neighbor to this man? Well, duh, who was a neighbor to this man? The third, the third one, Samaritan. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Now, I grew up in Sunday school. This was one of our favorite stories in Sunday school. Like we had this um, flannel board, and they put these little characters up there because we didn't have the cool screens and all that back in the day. And this was one of the stories. This is one of the stories we heard again and again. And you know what I took from this story? I took that if I ever, as I, when I grew up, if I ever saw someone on the side of the road and their car was broke down, I should probably stop and help them. And I have felt guilty for not doing that time and time again. Any other churchgoers from your past, did you ever feel like that? Like, am I supposed to stop and am I a good Samaritan and I'm not? And am I just the priest that's just walking by? Like, what is the deal? Like, we get this, into, and, and that's not what Jesus is saying, is it? When Jesus says, go and do the same, what's he talking about? Yeah, he, he's, the, the phrase that just jumps out at me this time in reading this story that, that I don't know that I've, I've marked in the same way is this, that when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion. And I wonder if what Jesus intended for us to take away has nothing to do with stopping when someone's car breaks down. I mean, maybe, feel like you need to stop like somebody but what Jesus wants us to do is see people and feel something for them compassion Com compassion that that greek word is this like in the guts kind of feeling like like feel something for them go and do the same and you'll live is like this call to feel something for the people Love sees the value and worth of all people. Now, if you miss, if, if you're going to nod off and go to sleep, um, I'm going to wake you up real quick. Come back with me. Come back with me. Don't miss this. Love. The kind of love that the Bible talks about. It sees the value and the worth in every person we come across, every person we see. Love, love values everyone, always, always. Now, come on, church, we don't get this right very often, do we? Let's, let's just be honest. We value people who are like us. We value people who think like us, and we tend, the human tendency and, and, and the temptation for us is to downgrade people who don't think like us, look like us, act like us, dress like us, 
I mean, fill in the blank for what we want to say. We, we, we just simply begin to downgrade them. And so much of the rhetoric in our world right now is about dehumanizing others. Now, this isn't about politics. It's really not because it's on both sides and it's, it's all over the place. It's not, it's even within the church. We just tend towards devaluing other people in an effort to make ourselves feel better. But love doesn't do that. Love sees the value and the worth of all people. Here's this missionary who went to the Philippines, and uh, he went to a people who couldn't read and write. And uh, the story, his name's Frank. Uh, the story is that he taught 50% of the population, tens of thousands of people, to read and write. And in his journal, he wrote these words. He said, I chose or I choose to look at people through God, using God as my glasses, colored with his love for them. What would it look like for us to do that in our world today? To, to, to choose to look at people through our God glasses, like colored with his love for them. Now, just to get you worked up a little bit, I want you to think about the people you hate. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, think about people that you, you just can't stand. And I, you're laughing, you're like, we're in church, I don't hate anybody. Yes, you do. Like, there are people that you hate, and, and, and you know it, and I know it. Like, there are people that I just can't stand. Like, who is that for you? And what does love do once it gets a hold of you? What does love do? Once you begin to experience the unbelievable, unrelenting love of the Heavenly Father, the love that God has for you, like, what does that do? How does it color the way that you see the people around you? And I think the stories are leaning toward this invitation to see people, like love sees people, and then feels something for them. Compassion. Um, I have this friend named Samir. He lives in uh, Paris, and um, not Paris, Texas, Paris, uh, France, and uh, He's a pastor, and we've, we've been uh, helping him plant a church there. And a few years ago, I, I heard him speaking, and he said uh, to a group of people, he said, you know, it's interesting to me that the church, uh, the church has been praying for opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. We, we would say that, right, that we would love the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. Would you, would you say yes, like well, that's a good thing? Yeah. He said the church has been... Um, in, in France, where he lives, has been praying for opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. And then when the refugee crisis hit, it was as if the church was annoyed by these people's presence in our city. Now, isn't that an interesting perspective? He said, this is the opportunity we've been praying for. And so many people just like, no, they're like causing all kinds of issues in our city. Like, they're, they're kind of annoying, these, these refugees. Same thing in, in Lebanon. And, and I told you the last couple months, I, I visited Lebanon earlier this year, and I, I, I'm overwhelmed with the way Heart for Lebanon is responding to what many see as an annoyance. Two million refugees have come into Lebanon over the last 10 to 15 years. Two million. There's, there's only, there were only two million 
people originally there. So now there's 4 million people there, and half of them are refugees. And I, I want you just to see a couple of, of, of pictures of, of some things that I saw. This is what a, a refugee camp looks like in Lebanon here, this, this wide picture. They set up these, um, they're, they're like tents with um, like plywood, and then they, they cover the tops of them, and then you can see the tires on it to hold down um, from when the winds come into this Bekaa Valley. There are these, these refugee camps all over the place. I mean, think about a m- two million people coming in. There's, there's nowhere for them to, I mean, there's no apartments for them to get. So this is where they live. This, this is the place that they live. And, and they work the fields. So you can see those, those fields behind there. That's, that's how they make any money. And they get like, I think it was $4 a, a week for working those fields or something to that effect. And, and so, you know, the dad's working, the mom's working. Um, the kids may or may not go to school, but when they get old enough, they have to start working because they want money. They, like, they want to eventually go back to Syria and Iraq, but they just can't go back yet. And so they're kind of stuck in this place. And so Heart for Lebanon, Camille Melky, he said, we've got to do something. And so these distributions, you can see just a, a sh- small picture of it over here on the right. These distributions, uh, they, they feed five Hundred families, and it's and it's only like this much of, of what's going on. But five hundred families every month they feed. Five hundred families, Be- because for Camille, it's they're not annoying. They are extremely valuable. In the sight of God, he said, "We're going to create something to to respond with compassion to these people." Uh, next slide uh, is. A picture uh, for those of us who feel like, oh, well, do we just give out food? Is that, the, is that what it is? Is it just about giving out food? Um, this picture on the right um, is a classroom. They have about 300 kids. They've created three different schools. They have about 300 kids in these schools right now with waiting lists. I'm telling you, I sat in the back of one of these classrooms, this one, and these kids sang a song about Jesus and how he's the light of the world. And they're all Muslim. These are all Muslim kids. And they're singing this song about Jesus. And and their parents want them to have an education. So they don't care if you tell them about Jesus. Tell them about whatever you want as long as you educate them. That's awesome. And and Heart for Lebanon is doing this unbelievable work, simply seeing people and responding with compassion. This picture in the middle uh, was on a a Wednesday about 1 o'clock. Like 150 people showed up for a worship service. In the middle of the day, on a Wednesday, because they're interested in Jesus. They're interested in why would these people come and give us food? Now, come on. We, we couldn't get 10 people to show up on a Wednesday at 1 o'clock if we had a, had a worship service. But 150, look at it. Look, I mean, the room was crammed with people. We had to sit outside because there was no room. On the left over here, this was a Friday at 1030 in the morning. These are all Iraqi men. I didn't understand anything that they said. But they worshiped, they sang these songs, and then uh, a gentleman got up front and he opened his Bible and they all opened their Bibles and began to read. Now, we, we look at this and we're like, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And every time you give to McDowell, these are the kind of things that you're helping to do and achieve around the world. We give to these just out of our general missions budget, we just give it away. 
because we want to be a part of this. But listen, listen. It's not just the big, grand responses. It is the person-to-person responses that each one of us have each and every day of our lives. You know, Samir said, this is our opportunity. Listen, Jesus is telling us, this is our opportunity. You get one life to live. You get one life to live. You get one life to live. Are you going to be a person of love? Are you going to be marked by love? What are you going to be marked by? And um, I, I, have this, I have this huge question I want to ask us. And then we're going to sing um, a little bit more. But here, here's the huge question that I kind of want to let this sit in our minds. Um, do we see those around us as people worthy of love and compassion? Or do we see them as inconveniences to be avoided? Um, so one of the ways I work through my sermons as I just start writing from time to time in my journals and I write questions to myself. And so this was a question to myself and I don't want to answer this question. And since misery loves company, I I don't want to answer this question. When I, when I'm driving down Shea, almost every person I see is simply an inconvenience And because I love our church, I don't have a sticker on the back of my car. (laughs) No, but but seriously, I started thinking about just my daily life because there's the the refugees and and we need to respond to that, McDowell. Like we need to respond to that. But each and every day, I'm starting to think about like just my my daily life. And so um, this week after I wrote this question, I, I, it was difficult. I did not get 100%, but there were moments that I, I, I began to ask myself, I wonder, I wonder why they're in such a hurry that they needed to cut in front of me. I wonder if there's something going on at their home. I wonder if, and like I, I started to like, instead of dehumanizing them and just say, saying they're an inconvenience, I just, I began to think of them in terms of a real person with a real story and something going on. Now, I'm, I'm critical, like some of you, and, and part of me is like, yeah, they probably don't have anything anyway, <laughs> right? Because that's what you're thinking. They probably, but it's not just about that. It's about the people at the restaurant. It's about your next door neighbors. Every interaction with a person is an opportunity. Every interaction with another person is an opportunity to be a voice of love in their life. The way that you respond, the way that I respond, the way that I hear them, the way that I see them and feel something, compassion. Uh, there was this show I loved years ago called Parenthood, and um, this older man and his wife had to go through some counseling, and he learned to say this phrase to his wife. The counselor taught him this, I see you and I hear you. That's just some free marriage advice. I see you <laughs> and I hear you. And I just would add this, like out of the stories of Jesus, to see people, to hear people, and then to invite the Spirit to help us feel something for those people. Every person, every day. Not just see people as inconveniences, 
to be avoided, but rather people to be loved because they are extremely valuable to the king. So there's a song um, called Build My Life, and it's this, it's almost like a prayer that God would build our lives to be people of love. And, and that's, that's what we want to be, right, McDowell? We want to be people of love. We want to be marked by love. It's the, it's the marker for a Christian is, is love. It's the most important thing. And so we're going to stand and sing this song. And um, I'll, I'll say a prayer to, to get us started. And then, you know, we have these experiences around the room just to give you freedom to respond. Maybe there's something you want to write and put up on the cross. And um, this, the, the cross is just the symbolic picture of where God's love melt, met, met our human need, right? In, in human form, like he, he, he met our need. And so, so maybe you want to write something, um, a confession. Maybe there's a name that you want to write down and say, God, this is the hardest person to love for me right now. Help me. Like, I pray that you would meet me in this. And so maybe you want to put that on the cross. Um, there's some candles in the back of the room. Light represents God's presence. And maybe you came into the room today just feeling all alone. Like God does not, you're not even sure if he exists. And I'd invite you just to light a candle. And as you light that candle, say, God, please, please show up in my life. Like, help me experience love first. There's communion around the room, which represents Jesus's body and his blood, which was broken and poured out for us. So maybe you want to take communion today, just as your response. In the back of the room is a prayer team. There'll be a couple people back there. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you today. We just want to give you some freedom to respond in any way that you need to respond. God, I thank you for the stories of Jesus and the ways that even, even when we've read them a hundred times, the things that jump out at us. And this morning, I, I pray that we would hear this phrase again and again and again. When he saw them, he felt compassion for him. God, help us to see people through God glasses, <laughs> colored by your love. Help us to feel compassion for people. Build our lives uh, in the ways of love. In Jesus' name.